0: Welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. We hope today's message encourages you and strengthens your walk with God. Enjoy the message. Well, is anybody ready for the word this morning? Come on, if you feel like hearing it, like I feel like preaching it, then we're going to have a great morning. Uh, Why don't you turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 9, verse 33 to 37. Mark chapter 9, verse 33 to 37. If you don't have your Bible, you can simply follow along on the screen, and it's our custom, it's our culture here to stand in honor of reading of God's Word. So if you're willing and able, if you don't mind standing to your feet, we're going to read Scripture this morning. Mark chapter 9, verse 33 to 37. If you're there, say, I'm there. If you need a minute, say, hold up. I heard one hold up. We'll give you a couple seconds. There you go. Awesome. All right, if you haven't gotten there yet. You can follow along on the screen. Here we go. (laughs) It says, after they, the disciples, that is, arrived at Capernaum and settled in a house, Jesus asked his disciples, what were you discussing out on the road? But they didn't answer because they had been arguing about which of them was the greatest. He sat down, called the 12 disciples over to him and said, whoever wants to be first must take last place and be servant of everyone else. Then he put a little child among them, taking the little child in his arms. He said to them, anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me welcomes not only me, but also my father who sent me. They were just having a disagreement, an argument on the road about who was the greatest. The title, the focus, the topic for this morning's message is the greatest title. Can somebody say the greatest title? Can we pray together? Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. I pray right now that your spirit, God, would do what I can't do, and that's change the heart of men. We thank you, Lord, for anointing this message, and we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you would get the glory out of it. Right now, whoever's watching, whether they're here in person or they're watching virtually, they're at home or they may be traveling, we pray right now that you would meet them right where they are and that you would show them that you care for them and that you love them and that they're never, ever forsaken from you. And we pray a blessing over Pastor Bobby as he travels. Use him, God. Do what only you can do. It's in your name we pray. And everybody said? Come on. And everybody said? If you love Jesus, can you give him a shout of praise? Come on. Why don't you turn to your neighbor before you take a seat let's, and say, let's get to work this morning. Let's get to work this morning. Don't get too comfortable sitting down. You may be back up. Now, we're... F- Looking at the disciples and Jesus having a conversation in this house in Capernaum, and it's important for us to understand, firstly, um, why the disciples were having this argument about who was the greatest uh, to begin with. Because um, in order for you to understand that, you must first understand um, their perspective and view as to what Jesus ultimately came to do. Uh, Because in their eyes, um, they saw the Messiah as a person, a Savior, that would come into the world um, and deliver them from the Roman government and the Roman oppression during that time. And in turn, they would rule over their adversaries. Um, so whenever Jesus began to say things like, I've, I've come to lay my life down, I've, I've come to die, i, I got to go to the cross, the disciples would get confused and freak out at times. Um, because, you know, they thought that they would reign with Jesus over their oppressors, and by doing so, the kingdom of God would be established. But it wasn't until later on that the disciples discovered that more than delivering them from the Romans, Jesus really came to deliver them from themselves and their sin. And more than establish the kingdom of God within Jerusalem, he came to establish the kingdom of God in their hearts and in our hearts. See, and it's important for us to realize this because when the disciples heard Jesus say things and do things like, they couldn't understand fully or they had a hard time grasping at times because the kingdom of God operates completely and totally different than the kingdoms of this world. And, and, and it, there was nothing wrong with the desi- disciples' desire to be great. Like, there was nothing wrong with their desire to be like, I want to be great. I want to do great things. You know, like, there was nothing wrong with that desire to be great, just like there's nothing wrong with your desire and our desires for greatness to, to do great things and to be a great mother, to be a great father, to be a great husband, to be a great wife, to be a great son, great daughter, employee, boss, or whatever. Like, there's nothing wrong... Like, uh, in fact, let me ask you a question. Who in here desires to step into greatness, to be great, to do great things, to see God do great things in your life, in your family's life? And like, I don't know if there's anybody else in here that just wants to step into greatness. See, there's. No, in fact, I believe that we should all have a desire for greatness. But here's the issue, and here's the problem, and here's the question. What is greatness defined as? What does greatness look like? Because you need to understand, Jesus wasn't telling the disciples that they couldn't be great. He wasn't saying, you can't be great. What he was doing was he was showing them and telling them what greatness actually looks like. See, because to the disciples, uh, greatness looked like ruling over other people and having people serve them. Which isn't it funny, here we are over 2,000 years later, and that's still how many people see greatness, their perspective and lens on greatness, that today people measure greatness by money and power and status and titles and where other people will even look down on other people or treat other people differently depending on where they are categorized or what class they fall into or rank they have when it comes to whether it be economical or whether it be social and i don't know if i don't know if you've noticed but it even seems like our world is structured in a way where it's easy for people to categorize other people and put them in a box like for example when it comes to um, the economy, depending on your income level, what bracket you fall in, they have the upper class, then you have the middle class, and then you have um, the lower class. Uh, even whenever you travel, right now Pastor Bob, you know, on the plane probably right now. I don't know if he's first class, they have business class, they have economy, he's probably in economy right now, you know, traveling to a minister. But, you know, you have first class, then you have business class, then you have, um, you know, economy um, you know, and nowadays here in 2021, people want to know, are you vaccinated or are you unvaccinated? Are you masked? Like do you wear masks or do you not wear masks? And what people will do, depending on where you rank and your status and where they think that you fall, they will treat you accordingly. And some people may even look down on you if they think that you that you are below them. In other words, I guess what I'm trying to say this morning is that in the scripture text that we find and in this world that we are living in today, there is a pecking order. Can somebody say pecking order? order. Now, I don't know if you know what I mean whenever I say pecking order, because I didn't either up until a couple weeks ago. Um, I was at my fiance's house, and um, my future in-laws, they have an army of chickens, like so many chickens out there. And one evening, they were putting the chickens up, In the coop and as they were gathering the chickens because they had some new chickens too so I was helping them out I wanted to check it out a little bit so while I was out there you know as the coop began to fill up with all these different chickens I began to see how these new chickens and these other chickens who had been there for a while began to size each other up and they began to peck on one another and whenever I asked like what they were doing or what was going on um, I was told that they were establishing in short they were establishing a pecking order And and what that means is they were trying to figure out which chicken is the biggest and baddest and where they rank. And it's interesting because every chicken has a place in the pecking order. Every chicken has a place in the pecking order. If you look at the pecking order, the top of the pecking order is usually a rooster where the rooster pecks on everybody else. And if there's two roosters, you're going to have problems and issues because they're going to be trying to fight, you know. But, like, the rooster pecks on every other chicken below it, but it doesn't get pecked on. Or the chickens that fall underneath the other hens, they peck on chickens that are below them, but they also get pecked on by chickens that are above them. But then on the lowest part of the pecking order, there's a chicken that every other chicken pecks on and picks on and bullies, but it doesn't peck on anything else. You know what I mean? And it's, it's interesting because the pecking order affects every aspect of a chicken's life. Like, for example, the chickens at the top of the pecking order, they will usually eat more, they'll drink more, and they'll be the, they'll be the first ones to get dibs on where they want to sleep, where they want to perch, where they want to roost. Um, but then chickens lower on the pecking order, they usually have to wait to eat or, or, to, or to drink, and they will get pushed aside by other chickens. And if you're a lower-ranking chicken, you don't want to try to eat before a higher-ranking chicken because more than likely, you're going to get pecked, you're going to get jabbed, they want to put you in your place, they want to teach you a lesson. And it didn't take me long to discover and find out which chicken was the lowest in the pecking order at the Adams house. It didn't take me long at all because a while back they were gifted this unique chicken called a silky chicken. Can somebody say silky chicken? Now, I don't know if you've ever seen a silky chicken before, but they are fluffy and they are funny looking. You know, not only is silky the name of the breed, but silky's also the name that the, the Adams named that chicken. And it's wrapped and this unique coat, um, and it's a fur and everything. And don't worry, like, she's super friendly. She's a people person. In fact, I think that she thinks she's like a a dog or cat, a household pet. We got her up here right now. This is Silky, y'all. Isn't she funny? She's so cute. So this is Silky right here. So Silky, Silky is at the bottom of the pecking order in her flock. And here's what I noticed. Whenever Silky um, came into the coop, like, you could immediately tell that she was the underdog, because she ran into the corner, hit her head in the ground, and every once in a while, a chicken would come, peck it, (laughs) and keep on moving forward, and, like, pecky, like, they just pecked Silky, and Silky's okay, like, Silky didn't fight back, but she's at the bottom of the pecking order, and whenever it came time for Silky to sleep and find her spot, I watched her find her little spot on this piece of wood on this two-by-four, and she got all nestled up, she got all comfortable, and she looked so cute, then, bam, rooster poof, sits right there next to her and immediately she puts her head underneath the board and that's where she's at the whole time and every once in a while the rooster will be like you know and peck it you know it, there was a pecking order i felt so i believe that silky's she's still growing she's still maturing everything i don't believe you're going to be at the bottom of the pecking order that much long, silky hang tight stay you know what i mean come on guys put your hands together for silky as well as my beautiful fiance brooklyn getting some brownie points right now Why do I share that with you this morning? Why do we bring Silky on stage? Is because I want us to understand, and I want you to visually grasp how our world often operates today. Because I don't know if you've noticed, it seems like constantly people are sizing each other up. They want to be great. They want to be dominant. They want to find their place in the pecking order. They want to be greater than this person and be greater than that person. It reminds me of chickens, like, no wonder Jesus even compares us to chickens. I don't know if you've seen this before. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 27, check this out. Matthew chapter 23, verse 27, y'all got that, y'all? Matthew chapter 23, verse 27, Jesus says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them, which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. What an interesting comparison that Jesus said that he longed to gather his children as a hen gathers her chickens, but because of our stubbornness and because of our selfishness or because of Jerusalem's stubbornness and Jerusalem's selfishness, they would refuse to submit. You know, I was reading an article from a veterinarian who specializes in chickens and they wrote that chickens are a lot like rambunctious three-year-olds where everything revolves around this, me, myself, and I. And isn't that exactly what we see begin to take place in the life of the disciples when they're arguing about who is the greatest, who is on top? They didn't even think about the mission of Jesus. What they were thinking about was themselves. What can I get out of it? What position can I have? That's what they were thinking about. And that's when Jesus had to set them straight and put them in their place. And he told them, the first will be last. The last will be first. The greatest among you will be him who is servant of all. You know, and if you study scripture and you look throughout the Bible time and time again, you will see God choose people who seem to be at the bottom of the pecking order. Let's take David for example for a minute. David, he was a little, ruddy shepherd boy, the youngest of his seven brothers, at the bottom of the pecking order, for whenever the prophet Samuel came to select one of Jesse's sons to be king and anoint them, led by God, whenever he came there and he met with Jesse, guess what? David was out in the field. And even Samuel, when he looked at Jesse's sons, he said to himself and thought to himself, oh, surely one of these men are are called to be king because they're handsome, they're tall, they got it going on. And that's when God had to tell the prophet Samuel, Samuel, don't be deceived from outward appearances because man looks at the outside, but it's me who looks at the heart. And God said, none of these men are it. So prophet Samuel goes to Jesse and he says, Jesse, do you have any more sons? And Jesse says, yeah, you know, I got, I got one more son, but right now he, he's out in the field. He, he's taking care of the sheep right now. So Jesse sends for his son David. So David walks in, and when David gets seen by Samuel, God speaks to, to Samuel, and he says, that is the one I've chosen. He will be the next king of Israel. He will be the next king of Jerusalem. Think about this. A lowly shepherd boy. Shepherds during that time were on the lowest, one of the lowest parts of the social and economic scales, but whenever God looked at David, he saw his heart, how he was a man after God's own heart, how he had a servant's heart, and if it was required, he would be willing to lay his life down for the sheep. Yes, he made mistakes, but guess what? David was humble, and he knew how to repent, and Jesus tells us in Matthew on the Sermon on the Mount, he said, blessed are the meek, or in the other words, the humble, for they shall inherit the earth. You know, no wonder God had to humble, think about this, no wonder God had to humble Peter the way that he did before he could use Peter the way that he wanted to. Peter was at the top of the pecking order for the disciples. He was the alpha disciple. He was aggressive, and he would make bold statements like, Lord, even if everybody else leaves you, I'm not going to leave you. Even if that means that I have to die with you, Lord, I'm, I'm not going to leave you. But guess what God used to humble Peter? Peter. A rooster. Because Jesus responds back by saying, I tell you, Peter, this very night, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. And one of the Roman soldiers came to get Jesus. Yes, Peter put up a fight, took one of the soldiers' ears off the, you know, but yet they all scattered and they all ran away and left Jesus. But then from a distance, Peter follows Jesus. And he follows Jesus from a distance, and he's looking at Jesus. People look at Jesus being bound up, being taken to to go to to be judged, and eventually to go to the cross. And they look at Peter, and they say, hey, hey, weren't you one of his disciples? You were one of his fault. You know him, don't you? And three times Peter denies knowing Jesus. One of the times around a fire to a servant girl. Peter couldn't even acknowledge that he knew Jesus to a servant girl. And the scripture says that after he denied him three times and the rooster crowed, that Peter looked at Jesus, and Jesus looked at Peter, as Jesus is being taken away, and it says that in that moment, Peter remembered everything that Jesus said, and that Peter ran away and wept bitterly. Think about that. What a humbling experience that Peter had to go through, and you'll find out as you continue to read scripture the next time, that Peter sees Jesus face to face. The resurrected, risen body of Jesus is around a fire along the shore. Isn't it interesting? He denied Jesus around the fire. But the next time he sees Jesus, it's around a fire. And Jesus asks him three questions. He says, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yes, Lord. You know I love you. Then feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. You know I love Them feet three times. Isn't that interesting? It was as if Jesus was undoing the three denials with the three questions and asking Peter to take the position of a shepherd who, like David, would be willing to put other people first, take responsibility, and even lay down his life if it's required and necessary. Oh, come on, somebody. I came to tell you. And in that, y'all, we see God's definition for greatness. Greatness is not measured by power and money and status and titles and fame by the world standard. No, greatness isn't measured by that. It's measured in the kingdom of God by humility, by responsibility, and having a servant's heart. And the same Peter who denied Jesus three times would be the same Peter after this moment who would stand on the day of Pentecost and preach about Jesus and what he came to do and what he came to accomplish. And in one day, 3,000 people gave their life to Jesus. This same Peter, all that transpired and came out of a humbling experience that Peter had to go through to make him realize that it wasn't all about him, but it was all about Jesus. Oh, come on. And that's why sometimes God will allow you to go through some hard seasons and situations and circumstances, and he will use a rooster if he has to because he wants to develop greatness on the inside of you. I don't care if people overlooked you, if people betrayed you, people neglected you, if you sin and you made mistakes, the best thing that you and I could possibly do is humble ourselves underneath the mighty right hand of God because the scripture says those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. Oh, come on, somebody. Is there anybody in here that's ready to step into greatness, to see greatness in your family, greatness in your job? How do we do it? Humility, responsibility, and having a servant's heart. They had the wrong perspective. See, they thought they would rule with Jesus over the Romans, and they were trying to find their place. My first point for you this morning is this, that God's standard for greatness is different from the world's. God's standard for greatness is different from the world's. It's so important that we come to terms with this as believers because everything in the kingdom of God seems to be upside down. And some people have coined the kingdom of God, the upside down kingdom, because Jesus taught that if we want to get, we must first give. If we want to be great, we must first serve. Jesus didn't say, you, uh, the world says, you ascend to greatness. Jesus said, no, it's about descending to greatness. See, and that may sound like a paradox to some, but that's how the kingdom of God operates. That's how God works. And honestly, I think that should fill us with hope because that tells you and that tells me that anybody and everybody has the potential to be great. It was, the, it, was a, it was famously said by Martin Luther King Jr. He said, everybody who... Everybody can be great because anybody can serve. You may want to write that down. Everybody can be great because anybody can serve. I want to ask you a question real quick. When you think about greatness, when you think about the greatest title that you and I could have in the kingdom of God, the, the greatest position that we can have in heaven and in the kingdom of God, what, what comes to your mind? Pastor? Prophet? Preacher? Apostle, if you thought any of those, you're wrong. Because when we stand before the Lord one day, we're not going to hear, Well done, thy good and faithful pastor. Well done, thy good and faithful businesswoman. Well done, thy good and faithful CEO. Well done, thy good and faithful minister. You know what we're going to hear? Well done, thy good and faithful servant. Why? Because the highest, highest position and highest title that you can have in the kingdom of God is that of a servant. It's that of a servant. Somebody say, I'm called to serve. See, in the kingdom of God, it's not about status. It's about service. Not status, it's about service. You know, it's been said that Jesus didn't hand out titles. Jesus handed out towels. He taught us to be great leaders by first being what? Great servants. See, so don't believe the lie of the enemy and the lie of the world that in order for you to look great and be great or look big, that you have to make other people look small and be small. That's not how it works in the kingdom of God. People are not just stepping stones for us to get to greatness. Don't use people. Don't neglect people. Don't look at other people as instruments or tools so that way you can get to your mission. And what God, no, no, God will not bless that. He will not bless that because Jesus even said, whatever you do to the least of these, my brothers and sisters, I tell you as if, it's as if you're doing it as unto me. Think about this for a second too. What did Jesus tell the disciples? We just read it earlier. After he talked about first will be last, last will be first. If you want to be first, you want to be great, you got to be servant among, like among all. What did he say? He brought a child to them, and he used the child as an example. Can you go ahead and put it back on the screen? Mark chapter 9, I think it's 36 through 37. Mark chapter 9, verse 36 and through 37. It says this, Then he put a little child among them, taking the child in his arms. He said to them, Anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf welcomes me, and anyone who welcomes me welcomes not only me, but also my Father who sent me. Think about this for a second. Jesus used children as an example to get his point across, even when it comes to greatness, when it comes to service. See, because during Jesus' day, and even in our day, children are the lowest in authority. They're usually at the bottom of the pecking order. They don't tell mom and dad what to do. I mean, maybe your kids do. Like, they are dependent and needy on parents. And there were times, y'all, whenever children tried to come to Jesus, parents brought children to Jesus time to be prayed over and be blessed. I mean, wouldn't you want your child prayed over by the Messiah, by Jesus, by, like, God, right? There were times when the children would come and the disciples would rebuke the children and say, no, 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 no. Maybe they thought that they were a bother. Maybe they thought they were a distraction. Maybe they thought that they weren't as important and that they were just distractions, but they rebuked him. But Jesus told the disciples, don't hinder the children. Let all the little children come to me. It's as if what Jesus is telling us in this scripture and what we see Jesus do time and time again with children. He's he's telling us that true leaders do not seek power, but true leaders seek ways to help those who have no power like children. I'm going to say that one more time. True leaders do not seek power. True leaders seek ways to help those who have no power like children. And the true heart of a servant is shown when you do something for somebody who can do nothing else in return. When you get nothing else out of it, that's when a true heart of a servant is shown. In fact, write this down if you don't mind. Or just remember this. to take a note of it. If you're too big to serve, you're too small to lead. If you're too big to serve, you're too small to lead. The way that God measures greatness and the standard for greatness in the kingdom of God is totally different from the world standard. The greatest example and model in life that I can show you when it comes to what greatness looks like, if you want to know, look no further than the life of Jesus, which brings me to my second point. Jesus showed us, what greatness looks like. There is no debate. The greatest person who has ever walked the planet Earth is Jesus Christ. The greatest. See, because Jesus could walk the walk and he could, you know, talk the talk. He could could do it all. See, talk the talk, walk the walk, he could do it all. And that's what makes him, like, one of the reasons he's the GOAT. In other words, that stands for the greatest of all time. And he modeled us what greatness looked like by his service to other people. Remember week one, Pastor Bobby, we talked about how Jesus washed the disciples' feet, you know? And I want to talk about that a little bit. Jesus washed the disciples' feet, which during that time, washing feet like that was not a luxury. That was a necessity because they didn't have closed toe shoes like we have today. They had Birkenstock sandals or what I like to call Air Jerusalem's. And whenever you went into high-income households, they would usually have a servant place right there, typically and usually right there, that would wash any dirt, dust, or even feces that you would have tracked in from walking on the street. Because remember, transportation was animals. Or even in the countryside, in different areas, you would walk in, you would have them wash your feet, you would go and sit down, and can you imagine walking into the, the room and there's nobody there at the door. They all had dirty feet from traveling and from what they did a lot of traveling, they did a lot of walking. And guess what? The lowest position of a slave or of a servant during that time was washing feet. And Jesus uses this before he goes to the cross to show the disciples what greatness looks like and what a true leader does. Because Jesus got down and he washed the disciples' feet. Because if serving is beneath you, then leadership will always be beyond you. See, if serving's beneath you; leadership will always be beyond you. Anybody get what I'm saying so far this morning? Yeah. <laughs> serving's beneath you. See, in Jesus, there was no job, there was no task, there was no responsibility, there was no service too low for Jesus Christ. Jesus, you know, he would. Notice nobody else even probably thought about it. Some people are like, man, my feet stink. They're a little dirty right now. Can you imagine Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God in the flesh, the same hands that hung stars into existence are washing your feet. He took the lowest position and lowest level. But I think that the greatest act of service that we find in Scripture that Jesus ever performed where he descended, was found in Philippians chapter 2. If you don't mind putting that up, y'all, Philippians chapter 2, I believe it's verse 5 through 9. It says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant. Somebody say servant. And, me, and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death and even the death and even the death of the cross. Wherefore God's, God God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every other name. Think about this for a second. God didn't have to do anything. But yet when God saw the need and depravity of humanity and his loving kindness, he came into the world, took on flesh and bone, and he took on the form of a servant, and he did us the ultimate service by dying on the cross over 2,000 years ago. Oh, come on, somebody. He did you a service. He paid the debt. We we had a debt that we could not pay. Jesus paid the debt. He he paid all. I'm telling you right now, heaven went bankrupt to set you free, to see you saved, to see you even in this building right now. And guess what? We are called to follow the life and example of Jesus Christ by serving other people. In fact, let me, let me submit to you. I believe that we are almost, we are like most like Jesus when we serve other people. When we take on the form of a servant, like we're becoming most like Jesus, you know, because you have to understand by serving People, what you're doing is that you are ultimately serving God, and you have to have the right heart. And Pastor Bob is going to talk about it next week. Talk about the servants' heart. You have to have the right heart. You have to have the right motive. You have to have the right intention, and you have to have the right reason that you are serving. We do not serve for the applause of man; we serve for the cause of Jesus Christ. Somebody say this with me. My reason, My reason. determines. my reward reward. one more time my reason reason determines my reward i want to back this up with scripture matthew chapter 6 verse 1 through 4 jesus talking he says watch out don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others for you will lose somebody say lose the reward from your father in heaven when you give to someone in need don't do as the hypocrites do blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity I tell you the truth, they have received all the reward they will ever get. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private and your father who sees everything will reward you. Oh, man. And the same application could be said for prayer. Jesus said, don't be like the hypocrites that speak eloquently and loud and do all these things to be seen by men. That's their reward. But whatever you do in private, God will reward you openly. So why do we serve? We don't serve so that way we can be seen as great in the eyes of man. We don't serve to impress other people. We don't serve because it's a competition. We serve because Jesus Christ first served us. That's why we serve. Your reason determines your reward. It's so important to have the right heart, the right method, the right, re- right reason. Can you imagine standing before God one day and serving, maybe even being on a public platform and preaching? Serving. and, whatever, and it's not just this isn't just ministry, y'all. We, you have a, everybody in this room has a ministry. but can you imagine standing before God one day? and doing a number of different things for the Lord, but nothing really to show for it. No reward. Why? Because you had your reward here on earth because it was the wrong intention, wrong motive, and wrong reason. Your reason determines your reward as a servant. Alicia, you can go ahead and come up. It's a shorter message, y'all. Was anybody blessed by this morning so far? I want to leave you with something going back to the pecking order. I don't know why it intrigued me so much. Just the total chi- I had no idea that existed with chickens. They had their own pecking order and everything. Like, But as I was praying and preparing and doing some research and, and some studying, um, I came across a study that took place related to the pecking order of chickens. And what they would do is in this experiment, y'all get this, get this. In this experiment, they took the most productive, and dominant hens from multiple, like, flocks in order to bring them together. They brought them together to breed, and they made a super flock with the most productive and dominant chickens that were at the top of the pecking order, the hens, to make. And you would think that bringing the most dominant, the most competitive, you know, the most productive hens together would be like they would outperform any other flock. But would you believe the the results were the exact opposite? Because after only the sixth generation of chickens, after all the chickens they brought together, there were only three left alive. Because they had pecked each other and they killed each other. See, they were so caught up in being productive, they were so caught up in being competitive that they took each other out. And I think that's what we begin to see in the life of the disciples, right? Who's greater? Oh, when Jesus takes over and we rule over the Roman government, I'm gonna be, you know, James and John, I'm gonna be seated at your left, I wanna be seated at your right, I'm gonna be with you, you know. They wanted to be great, but they had the wrong definition for greatness. And if it wasn't for Jesus taking the time to correct them and instruct them and also show them what greatness looks like, they wouldn't have lasted. And can I tell you, I'm going to be honest with you, you and I probably wouldn't even be in this building this morning. And if we're not careful, y'all, we can get so caught up in comparison and competition, not just in church, but on your job, through your education, with your family, with your siblings, the rat race of life trying to be great, trying to make others feel less than so that way you can feel more than. We get so caught up in the pecking order, y'all. If, you're, if you hear nothing else that I'm saying, hear this. We can get so caught up in comparison and competition and the pecking order that we can miss the heart of Jesus Christ. Because the heart of Jesus Christ was to serve. Come on, stand to your feet this morning. My conclusion is this. Greatness isn't measured by how many servants you have, but rather by how many people you serve. It's not measured by how many servants you have, but rather how many people you serve. I wonder what we could accomplish. I wonder what we can step into. I wonder how many souls can be reached, how many marriages could be restored, how many families could be reconciled. I wanted the impact that we can make in the city if we have the right definition of greatness. It's not by how many servants you have, it's by, but it's about how many people you serve. The kingdom of God is different. Jesus showed us what greatness looks like. Here's my weekly challenge for you, and I want you to take this weekly challenge to heart because we know that if you're not challenged, you won't be changed. Weekly challenge this week is to put someone else before you. The weekly challenge, you got y'all? The weekly challenge is to put someone else before you this week. How does that look like? Well, ladies, possibly men, maybe you had in your mind, I'm gonna go on a shopping spree this week. I'm gonna go out and buy some things. You know, you know you got plenty of jackets for this cool weather already from the years past. But maybe you know of someone. A family friend, somebody in this church, maybe somebody that's coming to your mind right now that you know needs clothing for their children. Maybe their children outgrew some clothes and different things, and you had it on your heart. You text them. Say, hey, I don't know if you have need of clothes or anything, but God put you on my heart. I want to go take you and your children. I want to bless you this week. You know how powerful that is? That's the heart of a servant. Our men, I'm coming for the men right now. Maybe you're a handyman. Maybe you got projects and remodels and things going on at the house. And maybe even your vehicle. And Maybe this week you have a neighbor, a widow, somebody elderly that you know maybe has some things going on. And maybe you've talked to them. Maybe a family friend you know has some issues with their plumbing or issues with different parts of things that are falling apart. But you decided, you know what, I'm going to postpone this project and I'm going to go and serve them and love them. Here's how we do it. We do it with the right intention and with the right reason to bring glory to Jesus Christ and to simply lavish people with the love of God. (laughs) See, I've learned that some of the most miserable, petty people in life are people where everything revolves around this. Me, myself, and I. But you want to step into joy? You want, to, you want to have the joy of the Lord? I've heard it said like this. Joy can be said as an acronym. Jesus is first, others second, and yourself last. Jesus first, others second, yourself last. I'm telling you right now, if we want to be great, if we want to be a great church, if we want to step into everything that God has for us, starts following the life and ministry of Jesus. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Thank you, Jesus. I feel your presence in this building right now, Lord. Huh. I believe that selfishness and greed that has gripped the heart of your children for so long that those things are beginning to fall off and fall under the weight right now in Jesus' name. Come on, I'm pray over you. And maybe in this moment, You've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. you never repented of your sins. You never took that first step. Believe that Jesus is who he said he is, that he died, that he rose. This is the perfect opportunity right now to say, Lord, forgive me. Lord, I repent. Lord, I'm sorry. I believe that you are Lord. Come on, I accept the free gift of salvation in your own way right now. Make that declaration. I'm going to pray over you right now as well. Everybody, underneath the sound of my voice, in Jesus' name, I thank you, Lord, for moving on the hearts of people, God. Let us be people that our servants god where we stand before you lord we hear those words well done thy good and faithful servant god move on our hearts let us be moved by compassion god with no strings attached god even in the lowly people the people that seem to be on the bottom of the pecky order god right now in jesus name we thank you lord for moving build strong families build strong marriages build god right now this is your church lord jesus Do what only you can do, God. We will be people that are generous. We will be people that are faithful. We will be people that are loving. We will be people that are kind. We want to be everything that you've called us to be. And we will step into greatness right now in Jesus' name. If you believe that, can somebody say amen? Thank you for listening to today's message. If you liked what you heard, be sure to subscribe and share it with a friend.